Hello, folks. Pull up a chair and join us on this adventure we call the Good Judgment Podcast. The episode notes for this incredibly entertaining and informative episode that you are about to consume are available at goodjudgepod.com. That's goodjudgepod.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. You know, Tane, we recently had a lengthy series published that dealt with all sorts of aspects of the DUI cases. You know? Yeah, shout out to our real FOP, friend of the podcast, Judge Ben Studdard, for his help with that series. Well, since the date that series published, honestly, I've gotten a lot of calls and, and emails and thanks and all that. Some love. You got some, some love. love. Yeah, sweet. Love for the podcast. Yeah. I have come across some cases dealing with refusals of chemical, of chemical testing in DUI cases. I felt we needed to share. Is there a reason you have such a personal interest in these refusals in DUI cases, Wayne? All right. Honest truth. <laughs> yeah. I had to try a pro se DUI case. Oh. In front of a jury. Okay. Awesome. And so it made me. And you were pro se? <laughs> Funny. <laughs> it, made, it made me find this. It made me find this. Self-represented this litigants, Wade. We're going to say pro se because it's a whole lot easier. <laughs> Race just die. <laughs> so uh, this episode is going to be a little bit shorter, and it's going to be more direct than our usual episodes because it's a it's a, essentially a one-issue episode because we want to get this information out to our listeners as soon as possible. So our man, Stephen, is going to turn it around quickly for us. and uh, Fix it in the mix. Fix it in the mix. So here we go, Wade. So you're going to hear us discuss a case called State v. Randall. It was decided on October 25th, 2022. Yeah, this is really hot law. Tane, what's today? Today is the 28th of October. I mean, dang, Wade. Nothing but the best for our listeners. Fresh hot law right off the press, man. All right, so let's talk about, let's just do a quick refresher on refusals in DUI cases. Yeah. You're going to recall that we discussed a lot of the appellate decisions, most of them being Elliott and Olivek and all of those cases. You remember that when we talked about that with Judge Stutter? I remember every syllable of it, Wade. So in summary, those cases held that the existing implied consent warnings at the time, the ICWs, that they were flawed. Right. And then, therefore, the testing that came as a result of those warnings or the refusals of testings that came as a result of those warnings were not admissible. You remember all that, Tane? I do. And then something interesting happened after that. Yeah, the legislature helped everybody out. Yeah, they went and changed the ICWs, the implied consent warnings, uh, by statute. So basically, the main takeaway from Elliott and Olivek and all those cases, eventually another case called Awad, uh, was that if the defendant refused a breath test or later a urine test, that was the Awad case, that that refusal was not admissible because the implied consent warnings upon which they were based was flawed. Right. Or as my English teacher mom would say, they're inadmissible. Yeah, but then you go, it's not <laughs> admissible. Anyway. I know. But I'm just saying, I'm just just to make her happy, I'm just saying that. Because she's listening closely to this She listens to, to every single episode, Wade. Mm-hmm. It's my mom. So we hope that we made all that clear in the DUI cases, even for moms. Yeah, absolutely. So today we need to discuss and bring to your attention some later cases that followed those landmark cases, I guess, in the area of DUI law. But Tane, I have a confession to make, and this is what I was talking about in the intro. Yeah. I had a trial. Okay. I have a lot of trials. It's always good when you have a trial, though. We yeah, get because to, we get to test drive everything. Yeah, we, we get episodes out of trials. Mm-hmm. Um. Pro se DUI case. 
and we get the jury selected. And during opening statement, the prosecutor boldly looks at that jury and says, this defendant refused the blood test. Dun, dun, dun. So my coronary begins. Yeah. You're like, uh oh, we've just, Hey, we, we just, just had some reversible error on here. And, uh, the defendant's not, he's pro se. He's not going to object. And is it reversible? Oh my gosh. Plain yeah. error. I mean, I'm just going down a rabbit hole. Right. Pro se defendant stands up, Tane. Yeah. Remember what I told you he said? Yeah. He said uh, he did not take the test because a lawyer once told him never to submit to testing because it's so unreliable. So now I'm looking around going, <laughs> am I getting it from both directions? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And I can't have ineffective assistance because I have a pro se defendant. Anyway. Right. So I'm having a slight coronary. I'm a little, a little panicked. Yeah. Let the jury go to lunch. And I kind of looked at the lawyers and said, hey, what are we doing? Yeah. What's happening? We looked at the lawyer and the pro se defendant. Yeah. And the, and the pro se defendant goes, what? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I got the education during that lunch break. And I'm going to share with everybody today. But then we've got this whole new case. So this case awesome. of State v. Davis. Or yeah. excuse me, Davis, Davis v. State. State. Yeah. And all of this is in the outline. Yeah. And folks, the outline, as always, can be found at goodjudgepod.com. So don't forget that. So the Court of Appeals followed up on Olivek and Elliott and Davis, and they and they specifically held that, hey, don't forget the special concurrence in Elliott uh, authored by our good friend, Chief Justice Boggs, then yes, Justice friend of the Boggs. podcast. And they noted that those decisions were limited to breath tests and would not apply to blood tests. Yeah, and you'll remember that that was because essentially the court said a blood test doesn't require you to do something other than submit to the test. You don't have to do an act like blowing into a breathalyzer. With deep or, lung air. With deep lung air, yeah, which is not just breathing. That's And then later air. in a wad they said, and you don't have to urinate on demand. Right. and Which is always hard, really. Well, yeah, I mean, for some more than others, too. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, back to the story of Davis. Yes. Davis noted that after Olavec and Elliot, that they had held in other cases, and they cited them, that Olavec and Elliot did not pro- prohibit the introduction of evidence that a defendant refused a blood test. Right. That those applied to breath tests. Mm-hmm. You're going to recall that during the DUI series, we finally clarified, and we, we have all the sites in the outline, that Awad had said now that also applies to urine tests. So. Mm-hmm. The decisions in Elliot and Olivek are lengthy, and if everybody has a couple hours to kill, feel free to read them. Yeah, those are hours you'll never get back again either, so go ahead. But seriously, they're very thoughtful, and right. they're deep, and it's it's very interesting if you're in this, this area. Right. But to understand why refusal of a blood test might be admissible, while refusal of a breath test or a urine test is clearly inadmissible under the Georgia Constitution, it requires a little understanding of the history of of the decisions relating to Georgia's constitutional prohibition against self-incrimination. That's a very fancy th- sounding thing. Georgia's, the, Georgia's constitution largely tracks the U.S. constitution, but there's been a couple of places, and this is one, where it departs a little bit. Yeah, and it's the court kind of sums everything up in one of the sentences in Olivek, right? Yeah, you re, re, tell them about that sentence. I'm not reading. I got it memorized, Wade. But can you read Roman numerals? Yeah, it says paragraph 16, 
XVI, provide, if I were president of the United States, I would say XVI. Um, sorry. Uh, paragraph 16 prohibits compelling a suspect to perform an act that itself generates incriminating evidence. It does not prohibit compelling a suspect to be present so that another person may perform an act generating such evidence. You know, Tane, some of our listeners might have attended law school, and back in law school, there was going to be something that flashes through their brain that they're going to say, isn't intrusiveness important? How intrusive the search is? And is it is it cursory or intrusive? And, and to be honest with you, um, tell the folks what our paragraph XVI has has been historically <laughs> has been historically said to not prohibit. There's a whole sure, list of yeah, the there's a, there's a whole yeah, a whole list of these things. So, historically the Georgia constitutional provisions uh, 16 has been interpreted not to prohibit such things as removing clothing from the defendant, taking shoes from the defendant, taking blood-stained clothes from the defendant. If you can take all clothes, I guess you can take blood-stained clothes. Correct. And if you could take all shoes, you, you can, can take, take the boots off of a defendant, specific cases. Uh, you can require a convicted felon to provide a DNA sample. And, and think about these. I mean, again, these are all things that while you're doing them, the defendant really just has to kind of stand there or sit there or whatever. They they don't have to do anything, including swabs for DNA. These la- these last few are a little more. Hmm. Yeah, requiring a defendant to strip to the waist to allow photographs to be taken of the defendant's tattoos. Yeah, you know what, folks? Those incriminating tattoos. Uh, taking an impression of the defendant's teeth, withdrawing blood from an unconscious defendant. Well, he didn't have to do a darn thing there, Wade. Uh, requiring the defendant to undergo, undergo surgery to remove a bullet from his body. He didn't have to do the surgery. Now, see, And if he didn't want to, he didn't even have to have the anesthesia. <laughs> that He elected to have that. So all these activities that, that have been deemed allowable... They just have the defendant has to be just present, a right. bump on a law. So that's that's what our constitution says is not intrusive, is not prohibitive. Uh, th- those acts can can certainly be done under the Georgia Constitution. I mean, I can't imagine anything more intrusive than surgery. Yeah, to get the bullet out. yeah, that's in my book it is. And so instead of the focus being on intrusiveness, it was on did the defendant have to act, right? right? So applying all that logic to a DUI scenario, Tane, the courts have held that providing that deep lung air and uh, sample required the defendant to breathe abnormally, mm-hmm. requiring somebody to urinate on demand. Yes, urination is a natural thing, but it, when you're requiring me to do it right now, that requires you to act. Right, right? and that can be very unnatural. <laughs> so by comparison, when the blood test is requested, the defendant merely needs to be present while an EMT, doctor, medical professional, whoever. Phlebotomist. It could be a phlebotomist. That's Can right. you spell that? P, no. No, stop. <laughs> We're going to be here a while. Yeah. Um, withdraws a blood sample. Mm-hmm. While one of those medical professionals provide draw a blood sample, the defendant just has to be present. Right. So, therefore, according to that logic, under Georgia's Constitution, and we keep saying this because this is about to become important under right. this new case. Yeah, we're building to something here, people. I know. it's kind of, it, it, Y'all <laughs> God, feel it? The tension is palpable. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Therefore, according to that logic, the Georgia Constitution's pro- prohibition against self-compelled acts, I guess, is violated by a – excuse me, is not violated by a blood test, whereas it is violated by a breath test or a urine test. <laughs> 
Folks, we'll be right back after this pause for station identification. Folks, this is Wade and Tane. You're listening to the Good Judgment Podcast on the World Wide Web or wherever else you listen to these things. As always, you can find outlines for these podcast episodes as well as any supplemental materials on our website, which is goodjudgepod.com. We'd love to have your feedback about the podcast, and we get that at our email, goodjudgepod at gmail.com. We're always looking for suggested podcast topics. Please feel free to submit your suggestions to us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Operators are standing by. And remember, if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to like us and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And tell your friends it's how we get to grow our listenership. Thanks. And now back to our studio audience. But now enter State versus Randall. This is what we like to call in the movie business the denouement. This is where we are revealing what the secret is. It's a French word. God, sometimes I'm sitting with you and I just You love being on this podcast with me. Come on, man. You know you do. So anyway, State state versus Randall. So enter into this fray, State v. Randall. Now, the case, this case is going to bear just a little bit of an explanation, and it's brand new, hot off the press. Randall yeah. was stopped by Athens-Clark County. Mm. He failed to maintain his lane. Officer performed the traffic stop, smelled an odor of alcohol. On or noticed, about his person. Noticed, noticed the defendant had trouble with balance. It had glassy eyes. All of the, the hallmark. Classic. The defendant arrested the defendant. Excuse me. The officer arrested, arrested the defendant for DUI, and after reading the appropriate implied consent warnings, the defendant refused testing. This is the most basic set of facts in the history of the world. Absolutely. Trial judge, the defendant files motion to suppress. Trial judge finds that the basically that the, the the evidence that was presented because you make the defendant exercise his constitutional rights or you allow him to exercise his constitutional rights, then admitting the refusal would be unconstitutional we would chill been, it would chill his his right to exercise that right not to submit to the test you read this case i did you? man well i read your summary of the case and the, these are the arguments we've all been expecting right. since elliot olivek and awad right. i'm sure he, he probably doesn't pronounce it awad it's probably a wad it probably but is a wad anyway and and so ultimately, if I read the case correctly or read your summary of the case correctly, the trial court actually found uh, the statute to be unconstitutional. 100%. It said, said that it, it is unconstitutional to essentially chill somebody's right to exercise their right to refuse the test. Tane, I love ingenuity by lawyers, and I have to tell you, of all this stuff that I've seen, this might have been the most ingenious argument I've ever seen. Yeah, it was good. The follow-up argument to that is really the, good. The prosecutor's yeah. response. Yeah, so tell them, tell them what the prosecutor said in response to the argument that, you know, this is unconstitutional. Because and it's he exercised chilling. his— Yeah, it's chilling. Right. The prosecutor argued that because the public, and they've cited all those line of cases since the 80s, is so aware of the availability of chemical testing in DUI cases, the state was only seeking to introduce the refusal to explain the lack of of chemical testing. They weren't looking to get the pattern instruction. No. The one that has an inference to it. Right. Tell the folks what the pattern instruction says so we can do the little side note and come back to what why it's so ingenious, their argument. Yeah. So it says... 
if it, it tells the jury that if the defendant refused the test, they may infer that the test would have shown the presence of alcohol or drugs, but not that the alcohol or drugs impaired the, impaired the defendant's driving. The inference can be rebutted and the refusal is insufficient, is not sufficient, to convict the defendant of DUI. So in other words, there's an inference that under the refusal that there would have been a presence of alcohol or drugs in the defendant's system. But see, the prosecutor's brilliant. Yeah. We're not not trying to get that charge. Yeah, I don't want that charge. We're just trying to introduce the refusal to explain the lack of of testing results. Yeah. Which they would be, which they would be expecting as normal humans. That's, that's all we're trying to do here, Wade. I I thought it was ingenious. And you know (laughs) what? It really was. I think the, the appellate courts or the Supreme court of Georgia agreed. Yeah, I because right. in a relatively brief decision on all these cases, there have been hundreds and hundreds of pages. Right. In a relatively brief decision of only a few pages. Hey, Justice Ellington, hats, hats off to Justice Ellington. He's been listening to me saying, I don't need a long opinion. Just tell me what the law is. God bless you, Judge Ellington. Thank Just, you. Justice for Ellington. lots of reasons, Justice Ellington. Yes. We bless you, but for that one in particular. <laughs> Indeed. Joined by all the justices. Right. So this was a unanimous decision. Yeah, Ellington gets an A++ on this one, Wade. They found that the state could have the refusal admitted for the sole purpose, they argued, and that the trial court would not even be authorized to give that inference charge you were talking about. Right. And they said, hey, trial judge, when you have a reason to decide this case that doesn't take you to constitutionality, go ahead and use that. So they reversed the trial judge, and actually they vacated it because they can't reverse because it wasn't a judgment. It was an interlocutory appeal. Exactly. So they vacated that judgment, finally. And, Tane, you can tell the people what they said. This is the foreboding for the next chapter of the Star Wars quadrilogy or whatever. Dun, dun, dun. They said, and I quote, we emphasize that. This is how the Supreme Court talks, by the way. Kind of like Darth Vader. Yeah. We emphasize that in vacating the trial court's ruling in this case, we express no opinion about the important and difficult constitutional questions that remain unresolved. I think we just needed to pause for emphasis there. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. before we go further, we're going to discuss this in summary, and we have to say we're, you've got to take the opinions of thing one and thing two or dumb and dumber or whatever. <laughs> Without Judge Stuttered's benefit being here, right? You know, we probably would have been better with him being here. Should have put him on the phone. We can, we can't call him on demand like that. I know. He's just the FOP. Yeah, friend, friend maybe of the he podcast. Could, he could call in on our phone line though. What's that number? One eight hundred. No, good I, judgment I, I, podcast. Somebody's going to call that <laughs> five five five. Next thing you know, always, they're going to get in the movies. It's always five five five. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So with that disclaimer, yeah, let's dive in. If we, Tane, if we're discussing a drug case, and we said that the defendant refused the officer's invitation for a consent search, yeah, you it. mind if I r- rummage through your automobile? And he says, "Nah, I'm good, man. <laughs> yeah, and I'm good. I'm good. I'd like to be on my way. <laughs> I would like to. You gave me my ticket. I would like to be on my way. Yes. Um, we wouldn't admit that, right? But we're doing it here, right? And that's really the problem is that there is a recognition that, and we talked about it in the other series, that there's a historical, I guess, his, uh, there's a history mm-hmm. of us treating DUIs like not criminal cases. Mm-hmm. Like there's some kind of hybrid between criminal cases and something else. Right. And that's that's 
now what every what the appellate courts are starting to undo. Right. But to say that we're going to allow your refusal into evidence, I think there is a concern that it, people are just going to start refusing the testing on the reg. Like my defendant said, that, that test isn't reliable. Don't ever take it. Mm-hmm. And then what are you left with? Well, you're going to be left with glassy eyes, uh, field sobriety test, potentially, uh, maybe an ALCA sensor, positive or negative. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to have any chemical testing to shoot to show exact amounts, or, or I guess a lot fewer chemical testing cases to show exact amounts. Just the really dumb people, or the uninformed, <laughs> the uninformed been listening to the Good Judgment podcast. That's true. That that's exactly right. I, I think that's a concern. Um, well, you know, and, and and again, I mean, I take the Supreme Court at its at its word here, which is. They'll address the constitutional issue. That just wasn't the case. Yeah, and this, uh, it, it you know, this come. punts it down, the, kicks it down the can down, but it, it, down but the it road. Will come. A few yeah, it's yeah, coming. Yeah, you know, as argued by that defendant and Randall, the if you may allow the jury to hear about a refusal, there's going to be a consciousness of guilt. You you only refuse because you knew it would be bad for you, right? But um, as we discussed in this podcast, consciousness of guilt is admissible, right? If you flee, escape change your name, whatever, that right. comes in. Go to your mama's basement. Absolutely. Happens all the time. So that comes in. Um, remember something else very important, Tane. These new DUI decisions have been based on this uniqueness, or I guess unique aspects of the Georgia Constitution. Right. Not the U.S. Constitution. Right. We've looked at it from really from a different angle than the U.S. Constitution looks at, at things. Because in Georgia, we've looked at what does it require the defendant to do or not do? Essentially, And remember, Tane, we talked about before that under the U.S. Constitution, you can force somebody, for example, to give a handwriting sample. Yeah. For comparison. Mm-hmm. But but you can't in Georgia because right. that would be an act by the defendant. Yes. And we've gone through all those cases and all the taking the bullets out and all that stuff. So the U.S. Supreme Court has held that under the Fourth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, breath tests are allowed as a search incident to arrest and it requires no warrant. Right. But blood tests aren't. Right. It's it's essentially exactly the opposite because they're looking at it from a different aspect. They're mm-hmm. looking at it with respect to the intrusiveness upon the in- individual and not what does the act require the individual to do, which is a different question from intrusiveness. And so I'm not sure the U.S. Constitution would allow you to do the surgery to take the bullet out. Right. Or the blood or the blood test. The blood and test, Birchfield right? versus North Dakota. It's in that line. Mm-hmm. It, it specifically said that it said, look, blood tests are too intrusive. Yeah. You got to stick a needle in somebody, maybe more than once, depending on how good your phlebotomist is. Correct. And so, and I, and I apologize, folks, if this is found, sounds like we're getting in the weeds, but let me tell you sort of in summary where I think we are. And Tane, you help me with this. I will try. Georgia Constitution, at least for now, allows for blood tests, refusals of blood tests only, not breath, not urine. And those refusals can be admitted with a jury charge that allows the jury to make an inference that the refusal allows them to infer if they choose to do so, that they would be the presence of alcohol. Not that they were DUI, but they'd be the presence of alcohol. Yeah. And as we've said, these arguments have largely been focused on the Georgia Constitution's provisions relating to self-incrimination and, again, how much it requires the defendant to provide in terms of evidence against himself or herself. 
The Georgia Supreme Court has now decided in Randall that the refusal can be offered into evidence not to raise an inference that the refusal related to any sort of consciousness of guilt decision. So, i.e. read, you don't get the jury charge. Correct. But the, the reason it's relevant or whatever is to explain the lack of testing that a normal human juror would expect to exist in this case. Yeah. And... If the refusal is offered into evidence under that theory, then again, as I said a minute ago, no jury charge can be given on the inference that might be made, or but a limiting instruction may be appropriate to ensure that the jury does not make that leap in logic. So particularly if it's requested, but I would say even if it's not, you need to consider some sort of limiting instruction when that evidence comes in and probably also again at the end of the case. So the Georgia Supreme Court has already ruled in Elliott and Olivek and that breath, that even if breath tests or refusal of breath tests are allowed under the U.S. Constitution, that's not relevant because they're not allowed under the Georgia Constitution. That's right. Awad clarified that same rule applies to urine testing. But then the U.S. Constitution doesn't allow blood tests under the U.S. Constitution. So? So where does all that leave us? I got a feeling we're heading back, Tane, to the age of search warrants that would immediately fell, followed Elliot, and I, I really think that's where we're headed. Yeah, I, again, I don't. We don't want to. We don't want to second guess too far in the future, but our my, crystal balls at the shop. Yeah, <laughs> I'm using my magic eight ball, and it says come back later. Um, but uh, you and I were talking about pre prior to the recording today. I mean, I can see where we're going to have a magistrate, you know, located either at the hospital or somebody who's available remotely at all times to issue search warrants um, for blood and breath and urine tests for DUIs, but particularly for blood tests. Yeah, I think so. So. Folks, we thought this episode would be quick and easy. It'd be a flash episode. Well, we'd, we'd, easy we'd, anyway. <laughs> it would, it's never quick. Nothing's quick with you and me, Wade. We found ourselves sort of involved in a deep dive in, in the constitutional aspects of this. Not where we really thought we were going to head, um, but it's where we ended up. Yeah, and, and I will say, Wade, uh, if I can just say you know, myself, it was fascinating. You know, there are people that have told me they have been really fascinated by this whole DUI thing because they never really ever understood it. Yeah. Um, these are important issues, but we understand that if you found yourselves way in the weeds of something and you're not ever involved in a DUI case, I understand. Apologize. It's just we thought it was important and we thought it was important we get this out in a hurry. Yeah. And stay tuned because uh, we really believe there's going to be some more chapters written in this uh, DUI law in the coming months. There have been over the past few years, and I think that's going to continue to be clarified in under Georgia law. So, Wade, where can people find more information about this podcast? This outline is a uh, the, the outline. And all of the statutory and case citations can be found at goodjudgepod.com. Along with all the other outlines for all of our other podcasts that we've had. And also, folks, don't forget, you can always reach out to us on goodjudgepod at gmail.com with podcast topic ideas or anything else. And also, don't forget to look at our LinkedIn page for the podcast um, where you can follow us. And in the near future, we will be sending out uh, reminders to let you know when the new episodes appear. So with that, I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. You know, the captain and Tennille were actually married to each other for 39 years, but unfortunately, love could not keep them together, and they divorced in 2014. If you're old, you're going to get the irony of that. Otherwise, sorry about that. 
Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. We try our best to give you actionable information, but in a format that does not make you want to hurt yourself. Two thoughts. Some topics allow us the latitude to be a little bit more fun. Number two, if we've failed you, we will try to do our best to do better in the next episode. We know that you have lots of choices and we're honored that you chose us this time. We're kind of amazed to be totally honest. This podcast began as a project that was initially the brainchild of Doug Ashworth, the former director and executive director of ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to Mr. Henneberger and the entire University of Georgia College of Law, my new part-time employer. Thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped edit out some of our stupidity and awkwardness. But hey, nobody can get it all. Thanks to our unsung hero, Kevin Holder. You are instrumental in our podcast being published and made available to the public. We should have been singing your praises all along, but we didn't, so... Tane and I are eternally grateful to the Council of Superior Court Judges who allow us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court Judges all across Georgia. Wade and I are also grateful to the State Justice Institute who allow us to do this through their generosity. You know that these are our opinions and do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, SJI, CSCJ, the University of Georgia College of Law, or anyone else for that matter. Contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com for any praise. Contact someone else with your complaints. But seriously, we would love your feedback, both good and bad. Send any comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Please visit our website, goodjudgepod.com, for all our episode outlines and more details about our podcasts. Some of you send emails asking for copies of the outlines. Seriously, people, they're available 24-7, 365 at the website, goodjudgepod.com. And we say that like 20 times during every broadcast. But seriously, you can upload or download or otherwise use them as you wish and on your schedule and at your convenience. Once again, I'm Wade Padgett. And as always, I'm Tane Kell. Thanks for listening. Tane, I guess it's time to bang the gavel on this episode. Any last thoughts before we wrap this up? Yeah, Wade, I don't think we're taking enough callers during the show. 